from AM and FM stations around the country. Welcome to the Small Business Administration award-winning School for Startups Radio, where we talk all things small business and entrepreneurship. Now, here is your host, the guy that believes anyone can be a successful entrepreneur because entrepreneurship is not about creativity, risk, or passion, Jim Beach. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Valentine's Day show at School for Startups Radio, it is obviously February 14th, a wonderful Wednesday. We've got a great show for you today with two great guests and marriages. <laughs> our first guest, I think, has been married for almost 20 years, and our second guest is just newly married and expecting her first baby. And so, happy Valentine's to you. I've been married... Uh, uh, 14, 15 years now, and I've already celebrated Valentine's with my wife. We celebrated last weekend. I, my number one suggestion, guys, find a pattern of China, it, either formal or every day, that you can give her pieces of for gifts for the holidays. It makes it so much easier. We are, our everyday pattern is the Jaliska berry and thread. And they had a heart-shaped plate that they came out with that I found on the eBay and gave her some of those and made her really happy. And so get a pattern that you can give. And then you just keep giving her new pieces of the same pattern. It makes it so easy. And she knows what she's going to get. Anyway, two great guests today. I've already talked about their marriages. Now let me tell you about their cool businesses. Jason Guessing is our first guest. He is an expert at using the metaverse at work. You know, we've all heard about the new tool and Zuckerberg's experiment. Jason is using the metaverse as an incredible business efficiency tool and the way he is running his business with it is just amazing. This is going to blow you away and make you want to metaverse for the first time, I suspect. After that, the pregnant Liz Presson is with us. An amazing business. For all of the pharmaceutical companies that are doing all of these healthcare trials, these drug trials, she is or the owner of a business that goes out there and finds the participants for the different trials. What a cool niche business. How did she think of that? Anyway, we will discuss that with her, learn from both of our guests, how they built these businesses and it's just a great show. I'm really excited. On Friday, we're going to talk with the owner of Trinsic, which is a tech cloud alternative. It's the a self-supporting cloud, not part of the other uh, Microsoft or uh, Google clouds at all. And then we are going to meet two authors of the new book. Then I love the title. It's perfect for us. Don't wait for someone else to fix it on the Friday show. Coming up next week, we have best-selling author, New York Times best-selling author, Steve Barry will be with us and experts on selling to the federal government. It's a better idea than I thought, maybe. Anyway, we'll be right back. Happy Valentine's to you. 
Startups Radio hopes you will reach out to us if you have any questions or comments, or if you need help with your business at any stage, from concepts to exit. Jim accepts all connections on LinkedIn. He tweets from at Entrepreneur Jim, and he responds to emails at james.beach at att.net. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy the show. We are back in again. Thank you so very much for being with us on this special Valentine's Day. I have my new love on the show next. My first guest, Jason Gessling, is with us. He is a metaverse expert, but it's different. He's not metaverse as in on Zuckerberg's website. He is taking that another step further, metaverse in the workplace. He is author of a new book called The Metaverse Workplace Revolution and is also a metaverse work uh, pioneer. His company, Omnis Law and Omnis Technologies, both use the technology. He has also been with a metaverse real estate brokerage that had amazing growth and ended up on something called NASDAQ, where you can look it up and trade it, I've been told. Wow, who would think of these advances? Jason, welcome. How are you doing? Thank you, Jim, so much for having me. Happy Valentine's Day to you. Happy Valentine's Day to your listeners, my family, and uh, thanks for having me on. Oh, thank you. Uh, you're married, right? Family? I am. Yes, sir. How Two long? kids. Uh, oh, gosh. 19 years, and my oldest son is now 17. Secret? And, uh, my younger- Pardon? Secret of a marriage, of a long-lasting marriage? Make sure you have a variety of interests uh, that are outside of the relationship. Uh, would be my my recipe. I think that both uh, uh, Christina and I have, have maintained uh, a lot of different interests. Uh, some of them overlap, some of them are divergent, but it gives us a lot to talk about. What happens? Well, I, we don't need to get in that. Uh, I agree. I think that is great advice. Certainly, my wife and I have divergent interests, and it's a good point. It gives you something to talk about. If you both are lawyers, what are you going to talk about? The law, right? You know, that's right. Yeah. yeah, you can end up in a lot of battles if you if you've got two lawyers in the household. So you got to have other things to talk about. But every, anybody who's listening knows. I mean, especially if you have kids. I mean that that's a full time job times ten, right? So you got to you got to be able to have time to break it up and appreciate things that are outside of those relationships and uh, and maintain a balance. And I think that's part of not to not to uh, shamelessly pivot, but I, I think that's part of what uh, the metaverse enables is some sort of balance for people that otherwise have been lacking. it. All right. So explain, I guess, let's start with metaverse pure. Okay. And then we'll add the work term to it. All right. Can you help okay. us with yep. metaverse? Just plain old, simple metaverse. Yeah. I, for me, I have my own definition, right? Because I know there's been a lot of talk around, you know, tokens and things like that. That's not really where I've lived. Uh, for the last 13 years, I've been living in the metaverse uh, since uh, early 2010. And for me, when I think about the metaverse, it, it's an ability to have this persistent sense of presence, but yet in a digital world. And so, uh, you know, for, for the workplace that I'm in today, the one that I've been in for the last 13 years, in many respects, you know, resembles an office and you enter as an avatar and, uh, you know, you can sit at your desk, you can decorate the walls in your in your office, you can stand your avatar up and walk into the office next door, you can go to a boardroom, uh, you might uh, venture into an auditorium where perhaps there's a class that's being taught in real time with live two-way communication, uh, you might be getting support from staff, you might be uh, attending a compliance session, or you might just be doing something that's fun, like taking a speedboat uh, ride or uh, 
participating in a parade or a talent show, uh, birthday parties, baby showers, you name it. Anything that gets done in the office, uh, you really can replicate uh, in certain instances in the metaverse. And it really depends on the business. And so uh, my experience is that the professional services industries in particular are ripe uh, for adoption of the metaverse. And I think the impact can be tremendous. All right. So what are the advantages of that? I mean, you know, it, it seems sort of like a hassle. You know, I, uh, I have to take my avatar into the other room or, you know, what, what's the, what do you get out yeah. of that? Yeah, no, great question. And that, that's really what the book is about. It, it, you know, the metaverse workplace revolution really, you know, has been going on for the better part of 13 years now, and I don't think everybody knows about it. The impact is almost impossible to state in, in one sentence, but if you think about, you know, it, it sounds like a hassle to move my avatar, but what kind of hassle is it to get up three hours early so that you can put on a certain type of clothing and then drive through traffic to get to an office? Once you get there, you just sit at a desk anyway, and there's not a whole lot that happens, right? I mean, I think, you know, the aha for me uh, and I think again about the professional services industries in particular, when I joined Glenn Sanford, the founder of EXP in, uh, late 2009, I had been a practicing attorney, uh, for the better part of 10 years. It wasn't a great fit for me. There was nothing efficient in my mind about the billable hour. You know, why, why do in one hour, what you can do in 15 hours when that's the measure by which, uh, you know, your, your performance is being, uh, assessed. And it, when I met with Glenn and he took me into the metaverse for the first time, it was during the global financial crisis in the housing market. And so what that meant was, you know, sellers couldn't sell, buyers couldn't get financing. And so deals didn't happen and revenues ground to a halt, right? But you still had those fixed expenses of doing business. And I'm sure your listeners can relate to this. Irrespective of economic conditions, you've got the rent, you've got the common areas, maintenance, maintenance charges, you've got phone systems, magazine subscriptions, office furniture, all of these things just to support what it is that you're actually doing. And for me, it became very, very clear, as much as I had thought that over the course of my legal career, that clients were paying for the fancy conference room table or the interior mahogany staircases or the fancy art exhibits and you know buffet luncheons, as much as I thought, and everybody else thought that the clients were paying for that, and I guess we could live with that, right? But it, it, it occurred to me in 2009 that I was the one that was paying for that. We talked about my kids. At the time, they were two and a newborn. And uh, I was driving three hours each way with traffic. Uh, not, not three hours each way. One and a half hours each way uh, with traffic. Three hours in total just getting into the office. And when I got there in downtown Boston, I'd walk in. The other attorneys in the office would walk in. We'd barely even recognize or acknowledge each other before going in, spending you know, 12, 15, 16 hours there, only to emerge, come out, go home, take the drive, miss my kids as they had already gone to sleep. And uh, this went on for days and weeks on end. And uh, you know, as somebody who never met my own dad, it just wasn't sustainable for me. And so you know, really when I met Glenn in 2009, it, the light bulb went off. It, it's the service professional that's paying for decisions that are completely out of their control and which oftentimes don't make a whole lot of sense. So Jason, where do you go to metaverse? What like website uh, or yeah. So we use a platform called Verbella. It is in my estimation, you know, the, the premier platform metaverse platform for business. Uh, I've been using it since 2016, I believe. And I've tried a couple of others and, you know, there's variations among platforms. Some of them are web-based where you just type an address into your browser frame VR.io would be an example of that. Uh, but Verbella is actually a, a client that you have to download uh, in order to install, in order to get into the platform. But once you're in there, you can figure out your avatar. It can be as tall as you'd like it to be. 
if you're bald, it can be bald. You can choose your skin color, your dress, um, you know, so you can really customize it. And I'll tell you, I, I entered EXP, Jim, probably as the least technologically adept person on the team, right? I was I was the former lawyer hanging onto my BlackBerry, coming into a startup, and I could sort of add value on things like legal, maybe some writing, right, where I was surrounded by just tech, tech geniuses. Uh, but I would never, ever want to work another way again. I mean, I think about not just the three hours that I've given back, but uh, you know, to my kids and my family, but the amount of money, the additional money, the income opportunities that exist for people in the service professions when you cut the waste out. And we're not just talking about physical office space. You know, you know, some of your listeners, you know, maybe they're in the startup mode, but maybe they've got multiple locations, right? It is in some 700 different multiple listing service regions. And in any traditional approach to the business, you've got to hire somebody that does the onboarding, the finance, transaction management, uh, the person that answers the phone. The metaverse allows you to centralize all of that, but still provide great service in an engaging and interpersonal way and uh, build some relationships too. But, you know, when a Zoom call ends, you know, you and I will get off the Zoom and we'll go our separate ways. And if I want to speak to you again, I've got to schedule time or I got to, you know, get on the phone or, or, or find you. Whereas in the metaverse, you know, the meeting might end and you might be 10, 10 seconds out of it and you just turn your avatar back around because there was something you forgot to say and you go back in the office and you say, it's just like real life. The farther away you get uh, from somebody who's speaking to you, the softer their voice becomes, the closer you get, the louder it becomes. And uh, so it's very empowering. But then who else is in there? People from well, your office only or, or do you require... Uh, your coworkers to go into a meta room and all hang out while you work yeah. all day. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it really depends on, on the use case. So for, for me, and I'd say for EXP and certainly for Omnis right now, it, it's an internal operation. So if you go into the Omnis law metaverse, our campus, we call it the Omniverse. The S is silent. The first thing you'll see is the spawning point. You're going to see some offices and auditoriums. Uh, you can go into a, you know, a suite of offices. And if you do that, you're going to see my office with my name and my photo and maybe some family pictures on the wall. Uh, right next door, you'll see my chief operating officer, Stacey Annan. You'll see Alan Goldman, my chief financial officer, you'll see a couple of attorneys across the hall, Dave Turcott and Steve Swenson out in Utah. Um, so it's, it's very much, you know, you're surrounded by your peers and that enables those types of conversations, both scheduled and otherwise, you know, even if it's just the opportunity to bump into somebody and talk about the football game over the weekend, there's a lot of value in those experiences and you never really know what's going to come from those conversations. And it's important to be able to replicate those if you're really going to maintain culture and build community, uh, without the physical space. All right. What about clients and meeting with a client? Do you invite them into this or how does that? Yeah. You, I mean, you cert you certainly could if that's what you want to do, but I, I'll tell you on the EXP side, for example, you know, it was by and large business as usual for the, what are now close to 90,000 agents across 25 countries, right? So uh, in terms of their relationships with their buyers, their sellers, their consumers, their clients, that continues apace just as it would, except the agents armed now with some advantages, you know, because we'd like to do training in the metaverse. So there, you know, there's up to a hundred hours of live instruction each week uh, in that company. Um, uh, but uh, forgive me, Jim, uh, just refocus me on the question. I'm sorry. Um, I mean, you were giving a lot of great information on, you know, your colleagues and requiring yeah. other people from the same company. Yeah. So, right. Clients. So clients can come in, right? Some, I think, uh, 
the key here is that, and I think this is really appropriate for your listeners in particular, who maybe are early on in their venture, you have to drive that behavior in order for this to work. And I think that's why sometimes if you take an existing organization that's set in their ways, they've developed their work habits, they've developed their patterns, it can be very difficult to disrupt that. It can be very difficult to get employee buy-in. It can be very difficult to pivot in that way. Uh, but when you're starting out, you can really drive that behavior. So to your point, right, require people to come in. Don't have them call you if they want to come in, they want to reach you, come into your office uh, and meet you in the metaverse. Now, clients are a little bit different because clients might find it a little bit intimidating. They might find it daunting. They may find it to be something that they don't want to do. But here's what they know. If they want to meet with you, no longer do they have to figure out where the great ivory tower is or the tall you know, uh, skyscraper that they've got to drive into and pay for. Uh, they, can, they can meet you where you're at or you can meet them where they're at. So you have things like uh, relationships with national or international co-working uh, companies like Regis, for instance, with you know thousands of locations around the globe. And so now, Part of the value proposition to your customer is not, can you come to my office and meet, but which one of my offices would you like me to meet at, right? So it's all about providing that added value uh, to the customer, to the consumer. On the law side, uh, you know, one of the big things that uh, concerns the bar nationally and concerns a number of state attorneys general, and we've met with them and we've gotten their support on this, is providing greater access to justice to, to those who can't afford it, right? I think it's some 70% of litigants represent themselves pro se. Uh, there are people that just don't have access to expertise that can really impact their lives. Uh, so in addition to providing greater compensation to our attorneys, in addition to scaling back the required billables in their work week, giving them more time, giving them more balance, uh, we're also uh, uh, creating an opportunity for them. Jason, I let mean, me interrupt for a second. Uh, what do you do when you get a new employee? How long does it, how do they, what is the, the surprise they must feel? I bet you got some people going home and telling some wild stories the first day, honey, you're not going to make, you're not going to believe what they make me do. I had to create an avatar. It was like, I was playing the Sims at work today. Yeah. Honey, you're not going to believe yeah. what this company does. I mean, it yeah. seems like it would be quite the shock and yeah. education. Yeah, well, I, I I hope that by the time we onboard them, they're well aware of what, you know how we operate, and we've probably oh, yeah, taken sure. them into the metaverse, and they've met with some of the team members. But you're absolutely right. I think the first thing is it can be intimidating. It was intimidating to me, but you know you get in there four or five times, and all of a sudden it's like learning to ski. It becomes very natural. But at first, you might be bumping into walls, right? You might be trying to figure out how to sit down. Uh, but you know once the benefits start to emerge, and, and you start to feel them, and and you understand that there's a direct connection between those benefits. Uh, and the fact that you're operating in such a lean and efficient way, uh, it becomes second nature. And it, you know, you, again, you wouldn't ever want to work uh, any other way. But uh, uh, so, you know, it, it can be a little bit daunting at first. It was for me. In fact, I'll tell you, when I first joined uh, EXP, I had a business partner at the time. And when I first saw it clinging to my BlackBerry as I was, I, I said to him, I said, you know, I'm never going to go in there. Uh, you go in there, I'll go out here and start to grow the business, right? Uh, but, you know, just by going into certain Friday meetings with four or five of us sitting around the table and collaborating in a way that uh, was was much more easy and transparent uh, than it would have been in real life, uh, I got hooked. I really got hooked. And, you know, today, uh, because of the great EXP experience, I feel like I've got a family of close to 90,000 people across the world. Uh, we've had people who have met in the metaverse as avatars and then gotten married in the metaverse, uh, we've had, you know, people that have, you know, we've celebrated the arrival of their children. That beats uh, the we, hell out of the World of Warcraft wedding that I went to, Jason. <laughs> I thought I had dorked out the max at the World of Warcraft wedding. 
<laughs> well, this was this was in the height of COVID, okay. uh, and okay. so. Uh, Dave Gagnon and his wife, Tracy, were looking to get married, and they got married in New Hampshire, but because of COVID and because of some geographical distances that I think married couples contend with all the time, how do you keep costs down for the wedding? How do you keep attendance up despite whatever obstacles there were? So there were two parallel weddings uh, occurring at the same time. One was in New Hampshire, and it was live, and we were all watching it on screen, and then the other... Uh, was in the metaverse and uh, I was able to walk the bride down the hall and uh, afterwards in our speakeasy we had a big dance and uh, reception and uh, celebration and I can dance in the metaverse I cannot dance in real life I can do backflips in the metaverse I cannot do backflips in real life um, but it, it really is a place where all of that interaction and engagement uh, you know takes place um, and there are other applications too Jim I mean, it's not just in the service industries there are companies now that are uh, testing expenses pieces of equipment, right? That might, uh, uh, who knows, maybe it works to, to restock orders, you know, and it, you don't, this is the type of equipment you don't ever want to take out of production because it's expensive to do so. And you certainly don't want to break it by having an untrained operator. So in certain instances, uh, the metaverse can replicate that equipment and you can actually train employees on how to deploy it, how to use it, how to use it the right way, how to use it safely and keep it in production at the same time. So there, there are a multitude of applications. It just so happens that the service industries happen to be the one that I'm most passionate about. So what about the firms that are requiring the office employees to come back to work? In particular, of course, the bigger you are, uh, the you know financial companies in New York and all of that. Uh, what about that, Jason? If you were the boss there, would you make people come back to work or would you let everyone, oh, you've got this tower with your name on it, for God's sake. It right. says Jason right. guessing at the top. Yeah. W knowing what I know, Jim, I wouldn't make them come back to work. And I actually think that those companies are in for a world of hurt because I think the mandates to bring people back to work are being met with resistance, whether it's spoken or not. And for those who don't want to come back, it's probably going to prompt them to, instead of doing their job on a daily basis, try to find another one and one that will give them the greater flexibility, the one that will allow them to earn more because they're not paying for excess expense. So, you know, at the end of the day, it, it's a bilateral relationship, right? The company wants the employee, the employee wants the company. But I fear and I, and I suspect that uh, a lot of those companies who are imposing mandates like that are going to discover that some of their best talent uh, has left them or is looking elsewhere. Well, I mean, a lot of those firms, there's nowhere else to go. You know, if you want to do M and a work, that's, that's where you have to be. Right. You know, mm -hmm. if you want to work at the cream of the, if you want to work at a New York brokerage, you know, uh, it'd be fascinating to see how it plays out. I haven't, you know, I've worked at home for, 30 years now, I guess, or something. I don't know. I don't remember the last time I went to a place. Um, yeah. and so for me, it's just the normal way. And so it wasn't that hard for me for COVID or any of that kind of stuff. Cause yeah. it was just the normal way. Um, yeah. Well, here's, here's the other bottom line, you know, impact though. And it's again, it's on the customer. I mean, for anybody who's hired a lawyer on, on the business side of things, I mean, how frustrating is it to go into a meeting expecting to meet with your lawyer and then to have the lawyer bring in three other people? You don't know who they are. You don't know what their expertise is or even if they have any, but you know you're paying for them, right? And you start to wonder, is this really necessary? Uh, you know, the, the clients on the legal side are the people that are paying for all those expensive and ornate furnishings. I mean, the whole ecosystem, uh, you know, clients are paying for that, the professionals too. But, you know, you start to think about state-based business, right? I mean, this, you know, the state of pick your state. Uh, in most states, you know, the, the state attorney general's office is the largest law firm in the state with outsourced relationships 
you know, and, and things like that. But what could you, you know, what if you could save taxpayers, you know, 30 cents on the, on the dollar when it comes to billable hours and billable work? What if you could take those savings and put it back in uh, to the taxpayer? One of the things we do in the Omnis model too, uh, is that we earmark 5% of every billable hour to go towards uh, greater access to justice, whether that's in the form of pro bono work that we do ourselves or by funding legal aid clinics uh, in different parts of the country. So tell us about the business. We haven't gone there yet. Tell us yeah, about Omnis, well, Jason. Yeah, so Omnis really, for me, you know, I think about the, you know, the pain of being a lawyer sometimes in private practice. There's a great deal of idealism that drives you into the profession, but then you get there and you discover very quickly that despite whatever sacrifices you've already made, the sacrifices are just beginning. You know, you're not seeing your family, but there's more, more incidents, I would say, of depression, suicidal ideation, alcoholism, addiction, uh, physical uh, ailments, mental health issues uh, in the law than just about anywhere else. And, and part of that is because you're just constantly a slave to the bill of hour and to the job. And so the Omnis model is intended to take the savings that we're realizing through our operations, still have a great culture, great community, uh, and pour it back into the service professional. So today, on average, most lawyers uh, take home somewhere between 20 and 25 percent of what they bill out if they're at a firm. Uh, at Omnis, they're going to earn 60% of what they bill out. Uh, at most firms, you know, there's a path to partnership, but it's poorly illuminated. You don't know how to get there. You don't know what the criteria are. As soon as you think you've hit them, somebody tells you you're going to go, you know, play nice with this person. This person doesn't really care for you. Maybe next year. So Omnis, you know, in contrast, provides uh, a very clear, objective, ascertainable uh, path to partnership income on day one, and we provide that for everybody. It's apolitical. Um, you know, uh, most traditional law firms, uh, well, I'll stop there. Well, uh, it's a fascinating the- story. I'm in the, the middle of a legal situation right now myself, Jason. And so when you said, uh, showing up at meetings and people show up that you don't know who they are, I had to chuckle because I went okay. to a meeting and there were two people who introduced themselves as my lawyer. And yeah. I'd never met them nor heard of them. And they introduced right. themselves as my lawyer. I was really yeah. taken back by that. You know, of course, um, of course. Yeah. When I, when I, you know, in setting up on this, I retained the services of a law firm. And to the extent that I had any doubts about what we were doing, all I had to do was go through that experience and find that things that I thought really ought to cost, you know, relatively little end up costing three, four, five times more because you were paying for additional heads. Why? Because law firm economics are under a little bit of stress right now. So you've got to pay, you've got to figure out a way to make those hours up. And sometimes it's by adding additional people uh, to a matter, even when they're not needed. And so at Honest, we want to get away from that gamesmanship. We can cut the rates for the clients. Uh, in addition, the attorney is going to earn more, but we also are getting away with the mandates. We're not telling attorneys that they have to bill 2000 hours, 1800 hours. It's their business. They can really figure out how much they want to practice, how much the practice demands of them and how they can sort of meet it in the middle. But, uh, um, you, you know, so it, it's, uh, work less, earn more and, uh, have a clear path to partnership income immediately. Well, you said something at the very interview at the very beginning, I wrote down Jason, uh, why do something in one hour when you can charge for 15, right. that's very illegal, but do you, how much of that really happens? Do you think? And I came you know, so Jason, I came out of the professor world. I wasn't a professor, but I was teaching at the exact same places they were. I was at Georgia state teaching hundreds of students a semester, both graduate and undergraduate. And I would meet some of my PhD colleagues in the hall and they would say, Oh, I am so 
busy. I cannot tell you how busy I am. I'm just absolutely swamped. I have a paper due in November and I have a class next week with 12 students. Oh my God. Am I swamped? Mm-hmm. I'm like, dude, you have a paper in November. You shouldn't even be start that in October, dude. What are you doing now? You know, I mean, you yeah. know, I'm in the bit. I would just roll. My, I was just mind boggled by it. And I've had my attorney tell me the exact same thing. You can't believe how much I'm working. Is it because of your 115? That's one of the greatest quotes ever. Why? Well, why uh, yeah, do in one what I can charge in 15? Love I don't. It. I don't. I don't think it's either malicious or deliberate. Right. I think it's just so ingrained in the law firm culture. Right. How are we going to solve this problem? We're going to get as many of the best legal minds under one roof as we possibly can, and we're going to put them on the task. And I think sometimes. You know, it, it slips and maybe the need isn't there, but, you know, th- th- those people are still going to show up. So I, I don't think anybody's trying to do something that, that is untoward or unethical. Uh, but, you know, that's the culture of the way law has been practiced. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd, I'd actually love to talk with them because to the extent that practices like that, to the extent that practices like that weigh on their conscience, to the extent that practices like that cost them additional business, to the extent that practices like that cause them to lose clients, we've got a solution. I mean, so uh, I, I understand the pressure. I understand what goes on. And I also understand that by and large, the legal profession is filled with very good people who got into the you know the profession because they wanted to help people. And I think they still carry that idealism with them somewhere, but they've long since forgotten what it was that inspired them to get into it because they've just been overwhelmed and, and consumed by all of the different pressures. So Jason, I'm actually going through your book now and I found your avatar. And since it is Valentine's, I will offer this up, dude. I think you're a better looking in real life than your avatar. Uh, that's kind of, that's kind of, I got to work on the avatar then. Well, By I'm the way, you, you look at, you kind of look like Jeb Bush a little bit. Have you ever been told that? <laughs> no, I have not. I have not. Maybe but, it's a, a, an older picture. I don't know, but one of these pictures a little bit looks to me like Jeb Bush. Maybe it's the haircut, but uh, yeah. your avatar almost looks Japanese. Huh. Okay. Well, anyway. I can work on it. I, I can go right back in and I can customize it and, and uh, see right. if I can make it look a little bit more like myself. But that the capability is certainly there. Uh, you know, sometimes you can play with it too. In, in the last Metaverse platform I operated in, uh, my avatar was seven feet two inches tall, so it's very empowering in that way too. One I of the things, it. you know, I know it's very difficult to sort of describe the Metaverse, you know, uh, just in terms of audio. I'd love to invite any of your listeners if they'd like to just reach out to me. I'd be happy to give you a tour if you want to host a meeting in our campus. You want to bring three or four people in you want to check it out uh love to show it to you we're very very proud of it we're proud of what we're doing and uh we, you know not a not a sales pitch at all but if you just want to check it out i'd be happy to show it to you and uh you can feel free to reach out to me at jasonguessing.com uh jasonguessing.com or omnislaw.com as well all right g-e-s-i-n-g and i also want to give out this url uh verbella is the metaverse that he recommended it's v-i-r-b-e-l-a and the avatar picture is from verbella his uh avatar that is in his book and also congratulations published by fast company press and I don't Thank think you, you can get uh, any more prestigious than that in today's world. That's incredibly prestigious. Congratulations. Well, thanks. I, uh, I hope it's of value to business owners everywhere. I hope it's of value to your listeners. And uh, if I've accomplished that, then I've accomplished what I set out to do. Uh, Jason, this is one I'm going to read, and I'm going to 
in the next week make it my goal to find you on Verbella okay. and offer you a dance-off. I love it. I love it. Maybe February 14th. We'll do it That's today. right. And I'm busy Valentine's. for the next week Yeah, with Valentine's recovery. So anyway, okay. Jason Guessing, right. thank you so much for being with us. Great stuff. Thank you very much, Jim. I appreciate it. And we'll be right back. Well, that's a, that's, a, that's a wonderful question, actually, Jim. Oh, my gosh, I love the opportunity to do this. Thank you, Jim. Wow, that's, that's, a, that's a great one. You know, that is a phenomenal question. That's a great question, and, and I don't have a great answer. That's a great question. Oh, that is such a loaded question. And that's actually a really good question. School for Startups Radio. We are back, and again, thank well, you so thank much you. for being with us. Very excited to continue our Valentine's show. I have just been uh, for hours pontificating to our next guest on Baby Wise. All of you longtime uh, listeners know I love teaching babies to sleep. Book is Baby Wise. Anyway, my next guest is my new Valentine friend. Please welcome Liz Presson to the show. She is the founder and chief strategist of a really co a cool company called Pursuit. From my understanding, if you're a drug company running a test on a new thing and you need people to be part of the tests, they go out and find that. We'll ask Liz if I get a good grade. She has started the business uh, about a decade ago, I think, and it seems like an absolute great idea. She has been written about in... Fast Company, Forbes, Mashable, Yahoo, Muse, a bunch of other places, and does a lot of speaking at some of the big, important events. Liz, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So did I get it right? If I'm a drug company and I need patients, you find them. Is that correct? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. If you're a drug company and you have a medication that is going through the clinical trial process, we help source patients. We also help those types of companies find better ways to connect with patients. They haven't been so great about that, um, you know, making that connection between themselves and patients, being transparent, sharing who they are and what their philosophy is. And so we're here to change that. And we've been doing that work for about 11 years now. Cool idea. You know, what's so interesting about entrepreneurship is in a billion years, I'd never would have thought of the need for that, right? That, you know, drug companies have to arrange trials. Okay. I get it. Well, who's going to arrange the trial? Brilliant idea. I mean, what a smart niche. What was your background prior to that? How did the ideation happen? Was it a light bulb moment, a gradual idea that I have to do this? Talk to us about 12 years ago. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I was in the tech world. I started in uh, tech startups and moved to a company called Digi International. And it's a global company, um, publicly traded, connecting physical objects to the internet for all types of different organizations. And you know, I was the marketing director for that company. I really enjoyed it, but I knew I wanted to start my own company. And so I started branching out and speaking about some of my work at Digi at conferences just to expand my network and become connected with other organizations in the area. And through that, I became connected with a medical device company. 
And they said, well, you know, take us on as a client. We're technically a technology company. And through that work with that initial medical device company, I found my way into healthcare. And I never planned on staying there, having pursuit work specifically in the healthcare space. Did you do but that on the side? I, I'm, Liz, I'm sorry to interrupt. Did you do that on the side or no. did you make the full-time jump? I did that on the side. Cool. So I did that on the side for a few months and then I made the full-time jump. Okay, perfect. I love it. Decreasing your risk. Brilliant. Keep going. Yeah. So, you know, I, like I said, I, I found this, this beautiful niche in healthcare and I found a couple of things. One, that taking a technology background and bringing it to healthcare was really beneficial for healthcare because there's a lot of red tape, a lot of regulations, and they tend to be a little bit behind, but that night kind of naive mindset that I had going into healthcare was working for my benefit because I was really willing to push up against that red tape. And then I got to know the patients who were utilizing this specific medical device. And I was incredibly inspired by their stories. And I found that their stories and their need for connection with one another was something that could be done for all different types of healthcare companies. And so we still work with medical device companies. We also work with pharmaceutical companies like you and I had talked about previously. Um, so that's really, you know, what we do today. And 11 years later, that's, that's the niche I've decided that we're absolutely staying in and has become my personal passion. And so how did you get started? I understand the transition that you described into healthcare. But then actually starting Pursuit, how did that happen? Yeah, so I spoke at conferences. I connected with um, business owners and really began by pitching myself as a freelancer and took on freelance clients in addition to my full-time gig. And when I felt like I had my feet on the ground enough, I brought this manila folder into my boss's office at Digi International and I said, I quit and I also have a proposal for you in this manila folder to become a client of my new business, which I know is bold, but I promise within the proposal, you'll see that a lot of the main things that I'm doing today that bring the company the most value can be done by my organization and can be very beneficial the way I've structured, you know, the payments and things like that. And I was lucky enough, they were open-minded and actually became one of the first clients. My job, that company became one of the first clients of Pursuit when I decided to take the full leap. Very well done. Very well done. What's your advice for Thank us you. to replicate that? How is it because they trusted you? How do I quit and then take them on as a client all in the same day? I think it's really important to take your knowledge of the business and the business needs and to understand where you are replaceable and where you do a phenomenal job. And that way you can develop a proposal that really speaks to the company and their needs and what makes you so unique that they need you or want you to be the person doing that role and also understand the financials of it. You know, do you have benefits? Do you have a paid time off those kinds of things? And, you know, to make it also financially beneficial for the organization as well. And then I think the most important thing is, is you have to be prepared for them to say no, because that's also a really big ask. And so when I went in with that folder, 
I had a, I had a plan. I had a, they say no plan that was first and foremost, because that was the most likely scenario and that they say yes plan. And so that's really my recommendation is to have, have the plan, have it set in stone and know your value and also the places where someone else can swoop in and do the job you were doing, because we have to be honest with ourselves that it is a business. Great advice. That is fantastic. Well thought out. Uh, what do you think the chances were that they were going to say yes versus no? What were the odds? Did you give it 50, 50 or a quarter, three quarters? What do you think? I honestly thought that there was no way that they would say yes, <laughs> to be completely frank. Um, it was a, a bit of a Hail Mary on my part. And I was looking at it as an opportunity to flex my muscles and building a proposal and making a really difficult pitch as a business owner. So I was looking at it as an early challenge. And at that point, uh, you know, I had had to, I had brought on some other freelance clients and I was ready and prepared for them to say no. And in fact, although they said, yes, there were some hurdles. I, I had moved from another state to take the position. And so, you know, I had signed contracts and had made promises that I had to live up to and live into before I was able to just kind of go off and turn them into a client. So there were some hurdles to overcome there. Um, but I, I also pride myself, maybe not pride myself, but I'm a realist. So I always try to prepare for the worst case scenario. So that way the best case scenario is surprising when it happens in a good way. Yes. I love that attitude. All right. So you got them as your first client. Then how did it go? Uh, was it hard to get the second how did the marketing evolve over time? So the way that the marketing evolved over time is that I went out and I did a lot of public speaking. I pitched all types of um, different conferences and said, I'll travel to you. I will speak for free. This is the case study I'll share. This is the topic I'll cover. And at that point, I had a lot of work in digital media and utilizing social media as a tool for communication under my belt. And so I was able to take on a lot of those speaking gigs and expand my network meet people who turned into clients of my business. And today I'm really lucky because I still love public speaking and I do that quite a bit, but a lot of our work is coming from referrals. Um, we really try to differentiate ourselves by becoming part of the team for our clients. So 85% of Pursuit's clients stay with us for more than five years. And so, you know, that's something that leads to a lot of great referrals and something we've really been able to hang our hat on. That's very impressive. Congratulations. Very, very impressive. Thank you. All right. Thank you. So what is a typical contract look like right so i am ab b ab v drug company and i make cumera and um we want to do further tests on it or something like that or it doesn't have to be cumera just a random drug right um what does the average you know deal look like is it a one-year proposal what's the average look like 
Sure. The average is two years, especially in the pharma space. And what typically happens is a pharmaceutical company will be introduced or will be asked to submit a proposal for something specific like doing a digital advertising campaign for clinical trial recruitment. And I often come back and say, absolutely, we can do that. But we could also create a system for digital patient recruitment for more of your clinical trials. We can create a website for you that teaches people about the benefits of clinical research. And that website can become a home where information about all of your clinical trials can live. And then we can implement an analytic system. So you can see how that educational information is actually generating more interest in your clinical trials. And all of that is going to help you reduce the amount of time it takes for people to join a trial and save you a lot of money in recruitment efforts. And so I always try to take the little piece of the pie that they're asking for and make it bigger and make the vision bigger and more of a system that we can implement. And that's how we're getting, you know, those two or more year contracts. Great advice. And I love the idea of the educational portal. That makes a bunch of sense. And uh, I've been on those before, so makes a lot of sense. And then how do you operate and actually find all of the bodies? Do you have like a big database of sick people or you walk up to somebody and say, you look like you have Crohn's? <laughs> Definitely not walking up to anyone and trying to identify their, their specific disease state um, or, you know, or doing that. For, you have to be careful also when you do that digitally as well, because uh, there are, you know, there are different HIPAA violations. You can't serve an ad to someone that, that says, hey, based on where you've been on the Internet, it looks like you have you know X, Y, Z. But uh, the way that we typically find people is that. We will do digital advertising campaigns and then we'll also, you know, create educational content. So that way when people are searching for content about their disease or say they're looking for information, let's use Alzheimer's, the example, looking for information about dementia and Alzheimer's because their parent has it. Um, we're making sure that this, this type of content is showing up in those search results and leading people to clinical trial opportunities. So really trying to find the points in someone's day, especially kind of their digital life, where we can intersect with them, provide value, and then present the trial as an opportunity. So you brought up an interesting point that with internet, I know what websites you've been on. So I know that if you've been to the Crohn colitis website, you or somebody mm -hmm. you know has Crohn's or colitis, right? Mm -hmm. Is that kind of use, are you allowed to, or is it moral to target people like that? And I mean, we haven't created the copy of the ad yet, but I'm, you know, tracking you. Is that legal, moral? No, we have to be pretty creative in how we reach people. And that's why the content piece of this is so important. So, you know, again, creating that piece of content that's going to be something that someone clicks on when they're doing their Google search, you know, and they're typing in something like what, you know, what is the next step for my parent who has Alzheimer's or what are the symptoms of a Crohn's flare-up, something like that, that leads people to a place where we can then um, advertise a trial to them because you know you have a lot of privacy regulations when it comes to advertising to people who may or who may not have specific diseases 
Yeah. Wow, that would be very difficult, I think. Oh. It's a difficult space, but it also creates a lot of opportunity because um, a lot of the difficulty that's been created there has meant that companies kind of say, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to. We're not going to delve into the digital space. And that's where we come in and say, but you can, we just have to be a little bit more creative. Yeah. The barriers to entry create great defense for you, but then also a great opportunity for you make it harder to compete. If I look at this business as an entrepreneur, there's no way I'm going to copy it and get into it. Right. Um, right. And if I, as a drug company, I'm like, Hey, we ain't going to do this internally. We're going to outsource this for sure. So, I mean, those are all huge, exactly. well done's on this show. So, well done. We even have a noise. Thank you. So, I love it. Yes, <laughs> amazing. We have a. Whole, we can also do this. Money, money, money. Must be funny. This. So anyway, all advanced, Liz. Beautiful. <laughs> what's been the hardest part of the business is it recruiting your staff recruiting your patients uh cash flow something we haven't talked about what's the hard piece hipaa yeah i think the hard piece for me is just i i have a pretty type a personality and so i think over the years i've really had to you know, really focus on my own mental state and just kind of ride the wave of entrepreneurship. I love planning. I'm not a super uh, big risk taker. And especially with COVID and, you know, just life and things like that, you just have to be able to not only ride the wave of the ups and downs of business, but to have this inherent trust that if things aren't going the way that you want them to go right now, you have to keep going you have to keep doing and trust that things will turn around and you know being a realist that trust can be hard but i've really realized that the, the more i trust myself and have this knowing that things are going to turn out the way that they need to turn out the better they go and you know just having that specific mentality and kind of keeping it for all these years has been difficult but it gets easier over time and so i think that's been the most difficult thing for me and what's the thing that you thought would be hard that's surprisingly easy? Oh, that is a fantastic question. I think finding people, finding talented people. So Pursuit is and always has been a remote or distributed company. And that just gives me the fantastic opportunity to connect with amazing talent all over the United States and invite them to participate in Pursuit's offering. And it's just so exciting, the level of people that I've been able to bring into the business and been able to work with. And so that's the easiest, the most exciting. And the thing that really lights me up, especially at this point in my career, is creating positions for people that give them a livelihood that they love doing every day. You know, it's what keeps me going. That is a great feeling and uh, congratulations on doing that. How many employees do you have now? How big is the company grown in that respect? We're, yeah, we're a small company. We're five, five employees. And then we have a really great pool of contractors and freelancers that we tap into for our projects. Okay. Well, five is pretty big in our world. So that's very impressive. 
Do you like the metaverse, Liz? Our first guest, Jason, we were talking about the metaverse. Your company would be perfect for it. His entire company exists in the metaverse and they all meet there. Uh, you should listen to it. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? It sounds crazy, but you know, times are changing, things are evolving. So not as crazy as it may have a couple of years ago. That's right. And you want to say happy Valentine's to somebody? Oh, sure. Happy Valentine's Day to my Valentine, my husband. And, you know, happy Valentine's Day to everyone out there. I think it's a day where we can all be compassionate towards one another and share a little extra love. And congratulations on your baby. I heard you're pregnant. Thank you. I am. I'm very excited. And, uh, you know, it'll be an adventure. What I consider my first, well, this will be my first baby, but I'm going to consider him my second because really my business has been my first baby. So it'll be interesting to see how the two operate together. That will be a brand new challenge for me this year. Well, that's an absolutely fascinating point. I felt like my first business was also a child of mine. And when that business was sold and I didn't go there anymore. It a hundred percent felt like one of my children had disappeared. And so, and right. then one of my children turned 18 and I was like, get the hell out of here. You can't, you know, it's amazing how fast <laughs> you turn and like, just go away from me, you know? And, uh, right. so anyway, Liz, it's going to be a great ride. Congratulations. Uh, pursuit, uh, pursuit also been a great ride. How do we find out more follow online and get in touch if we have some information? Yeah, thank you for asking. Everyone can find us at pursuitof.com. And then I'm personally Liz Preston on all of the different social networks. I love hearing from people um, on social media, or you can also email me at liz at pursuitof.com. I welcome any and all connection. Fantastic. Liz, thank you so much for being with us. Happy Valentine's to you and your husband and family. And congratulations on the baby. Congratulations on Pursuit. We hope you'll come back. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Happy Valentine's Day. And to you. We are out of time, but we come back. Be safe, everyone. Have a fun night tonight. Take care. Bye now.